When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. You guys, welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal Ryan, and this is your Tuesday episode. How was everybody's Monday? Was it a was it an easy re-entry to the week? I hope so. Today, you guys, is Halloween. Oh, ho, ho, ho. my name is Ryan Booley. <laughs> God, I'm so shocked I don't have kids because I would do the best dad jokes in the world. I hope everybody's doing good out there. Uh, Halloween, did you stock up on candy for the youngsters that come into your neighborhoods? I hope so. God, didn't you used to love, I mean, we always heard rumors as a kid of the houses that would pass out the full-size candy bars. Like, remember, like, you'd, you'd always hear whisperings about rich neighborhoods. You're like, oh, rich neighborhoods. They give you, like, just a whole box of, a box of chocolate. Like, you, they'll just give you 30 full-size Snickers bars. I always heard rumors about those rich neighborhoods or, like, parents taking their kids to rich neighborhoods. And I never, like, it was just, it was just believed. I was like, wow, that sounds, why won't my parents take me to a rich neighborhood? I don't, was that ever true? I mean, what is the most candy you've ever gotten as a kid from a house that didn't involve stealing? What's also the weirdest gift you get? Like, do people give out Bitcoin or anything? Like, hey, kid, I don't have any candy, but here's some crypto. Uh, Who knows? But I hope you guys have a great Halloween tonight. Uh, A lot of the adult parties happened this weekend where everybody dressed silly. We talked about some of the celebrity Halloween costumes on Monday's episode. But it is fun. I'm just noticing people are going. These... These stars are going in such weirdly specific outfits. Like, we talked yesterday about Hailey Bieber going as Carmen Electra from the movie Scary Movie, but then today I just saw a picture of Ariana Grande and her friend going as two characters from the movie Showgirls. And it's like, yeah, when you put that on a picture, on like a tweet, you're like, oh, they they stun in a new picture of themselves as uh, people from the movie Showgirls. You're like, oh, cool, I get it. But if 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 you're not told that, you're just going like, oh, these are ladies dressed in lingerie. Like, like it's oddly specific. You know, it's like if I went as like one of the T-Birds from Greece. Not like John Travolta or Kanicki, like just one of the random, like, oh, you know, it was like the third guy from the left in the Grease Lightning Dance. Yeah, that's who I'm dressed as. 
it's completely bizarre to me, but I see it popping up. Like, what what happened when people just dressed as ghosts or vampires? Now it's like so oddly specific, and it doesn't even involve like spookiness anymore. <laughs> this is the I'm old man Booley, and I'm yelling about Halloween costumes today. Oh, folks, I hope you're doing good. If you like this show, please consider rating it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for keeping us on the charts. I super appreciate that. Uh, uh, Tonight was fun. We did a live Patreon, a spooky Patreon. I dressed as Bethany Frankel's reality reckoning. So I just put dark makeup around my eyes and, and made myself like a, like with lipstick, like a Joker smile, and then wore a bunch of Vanderpump Rules merchandise. I'm Bethany Frankel's reality reckoning. Oh, I will take you down, Bravo. Uh, Folks, what I'm referring to there, besides my extreme goofiness, is Bethany Frankel, we finally got the Vanity Fair article. The Vanity Fair article that Bethany had been promising slash threatening for months now finally came out today. Uh, it's a well-written article by Anna Peel. Uh, I like her writing. She did a great article on uh, behind the scenes of Love Island. I really, uh, I really respect her writing. And Vanity Fair, of course, legendary publication. Uh, you know, it's so weird, and I, I, I could be completely desensitized, which I, I know I am because I consume so much media. I think the overall thought was, oh, I thought this could be way worse. <laughs> I thought this was going to be way worse. I thought somebody was going to die in this. And a lot of these things that were talked about, I had heard about. We had talked about. We had heard rumblings. But I guess to the the casual viewer or people that read Vanity Fair, I guess the public at large, this might all be new to them. So I would actually be more curious to have somebody that is not affiliated with the world in which we play read this and tell me what they think of it. Tell me, like, because I think I, I, you know, some of these things are horrific in there, but I feel like it's well-tread material, some of this. I mean, uh, some of these quotes are wild. And of course, I did, you know, I got to say, the Leah McSweeney of it all, it surprised me. It did. I did not expect, I should have, but I didn't expect her to pop up in the way that she did. So basically, like the the big players of this article, of course, is Bethany Frankel. She's Frankling all over the place. You've got uh, Leah McSweeney, and you've got Ebony K. Williams. So they were both from Roni. You got those guys. There's a lot of talk about Ramona Singer. None of that surprises me, and I I do believe uh, Ebony K. Williams in some of. I mean, like I I just find it interesting that we. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll go through the article a little bit if you want to in a second here, but uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this for weeks to come. I, I think the overall impression too was that I'm like, okay, so what? Where do we go from here? What do we do? What do you want, Bethany? What? What? What do you want? What is the? Because I feel like from what this article says and from what we heard, NBC Universal and Bravo are tightening their restrictions, and this has been done to great success before. I mean, I mainly point to the Bachelor franchise that instituted a two-drink minimum um, for shooting after the situation that they had on the the Bachelor franchise, which I believe involved uh, Corinne Olympios, who was on the show on Monday. I hope you liked hearing her. So I think these things can be done. The overall thing that I was curious about and am more empathetic about is the talk about mental health is, is that talk of, you know, like, listen, we 
you and me, we struggle with mental health on a daily basis. And we know how tough it is to go through the world putting one foot in front of another. Now imagine you're putting yourself on reality television, right? The thing that I still miss in these articles, and I miss in a lot of talk in terms of celebrity culture, is that there never seems to be a lot of personal responsibility taken across the board. And by the way, maybe stars, they're just like us. We don't take we don't like to take a lot of personal responsibility in our own lives. But um, it was wild because I, I feel like even with Leah's story, she talks about, um, you know, uh, she had been sober for a long time. It started drinking uh, again right before she came on the show. And then she kind of says, like, the show put her in this position of feeling like she needed to drink, encouraged to drink. And we got those iconic episodes out of Leah McSweeney. I mean, Hurricane Leah, her throwing the tiki torches. I remember we were locked up during COVID. We, I mean, I remember uh, if you listened to the show that long ago, I was in love with Leah McSweeney. Oh my God. And she's obviously has and will have mental health struggles. And in full transparency, uh, we don't follow each other anymore, but I have had a really nice back and forth with her about uh, antidepressants in the past. And I uh, I wish her the best in terms of her mental health, but it, it also talked about, um, you know, filing a complaint against Bravo under the, um, uh, the Disabilities Act. And I don't know, it, it, it's a little hazy for me with Leah and her story because she talks about leaving the show in the second season. Uh, she unfortunately did not be able to get to her grandma's side before she passed away. Uh, they said that they were encouraging her to go and like, yes, yes, yes. But you know, at the same time, she felt pressured by them and she didn't get there in time. And that triggered her to, uh, to, to seek psychiatric, uh, help for like a week. And uh, she left the show, but then, uh, and, and really, you know, her complaint is in that second season of her being on the show, but then was offered $250,000 to come back for Ultimate Girls Trip. And she felt like they were trying to pressure her into drinking, making fun of her sobriety. We saw a little bit of that on the show. I mean, my, my thing is, is that, you know, if you are actually filing a complaint against Bravo, why go back to the show? I feel like that undercuts your argument in a lot of ways. Yeah, we do a lot of crazy things for money. I mean, listen, I do it. I do it every day. I'm doing a podcast, folks. That's 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 the most insane that you could ever get. Um, but it's weird. Like, I feel like some of that undercuts the argument because if they truly did take you away at this obviously momentous occasion in your family's life and you realize the pitfalls at that point of reality television, don't go back. Don't go back. And, you know, you guys know, I mean, and people online, a couple of people were like, why do you have such an issue with Bethany? It, my issue with Bethany, it's just so simple, is that I feel like under the guise of helping people, it's truly self-serving. It never feels completely real. Like, I, th I thought her charity work when she would help, uh, you know, disaster relief, I thought that was truly amazing. But this, this feels different. This feels different. It feels like she wants to be the captain of some ship that I don't know if she necessarily knows where this is headed or what she ultimately wants of it. And the last paragraph of the article even talks about somebody that won't go on record saying, well, I want to burn it all down. And Anna, the writer of the piece, is like, well, I don't. I'm a fan. Of, like, Anna's a fan of these shows. Is that I felt like there's a little bit, not even a little bit, a lot of let's burn it all down instead of 
how can we truly best help these people? How can we make sure that there are better wages, better hours, all those things that me and you, we want in our everyday jobs? I mean, that should translate to everybody that's working. I don't know. The, the one thing that, that keeps popping into my mind, though, is our attention economy. The, the attention economy, A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, attention. We all want attention. We all want something. We all want eyes on us. We all want to be special. We all want to be beautiful. And I feel like, especially when you throw TV and even low-level fame into the mix, it is so intoxicating, and it's something that it seems like a lot of these people chase for the rest of their lives. When you get kicked off these shows, nobody nobody goes willing. Like, they all want to usually come back. We saw it with Tamra. We see it every season when a new crop of old, old housewives want to come back to the show. I mean, they're constantly trying to get back on the show. And these are cases, I mean, especially in Ebony's case, you know, with Ramona using um, really, really horrible, offensive language. I mean, using the N-word at a work situation is truly wild. And the thing is, if you really think about it, we all, we, you know, no matter whether you love Ramona or dislike Ramona or whatever, you know, if you kind of search yourself that you're like, yeah, that sounds like something that she possibly could have done. Does that mean we completely shut this person out for the rest of our lives? Does this mean like, I, I always have told you guys, I don't look to these women in particular for ways to treat other people or moralistic standards across any. So like, I, I just don't, I don't. Um, one of the Shed Media producers in this article says, these shows are comedy. And I agree with that, but I think they can be so much more. But when they are so much more, it kind of like is a little shaky because that's not what this foundation was built on. This foundation was built on kind of like a humorous look at women's lives and certain types of women in certain iterations, like the ladies of New York or the ladies of Beverly Hills or Orange County. And, uh, then when you throw kind of serious, I mean, remember when we were throwing in the pandemic in some of these, we were throwing in the election in Real Housewives of New York. We were talking about, uh, race in America on that last season of Real Housewives of New York before they stopped it and rebuilt the cast. And sometimes when you're dealing with a certain set of ladies that have certain type of ideals, it's going to be a re it's going to make that foundation burn away to nothing. And it's going to really, really sometimes not hold these heavy, heavy conversations. And it can, you know, it, these are growing pains. Um, but a lot of this article did not surprise me, but I'm just kind of wondering where, where do we go from here? Where, okay. So where, where do we go? But I worry though, just in terms of, you know, personal responsibilities that we all have to ourselves, you know, is that sometimes these women or reality stars, I include men in this as well. It's like, okay, well, this is the easiest money I've ever made in my life. And I want to continue to do this for the rest of my life. And reality shows aren't built like that. It's just what I was talking about having serious discussions in these shows. It sometimes makes it really wobbly. Like reality television isn't the place that you, you know, it's like, well, I'll do 50 years in reality television and then uh, I'll fill up my 401k through that. Like, no. You're not like reality television stars, unless you're the Kardashians, like 
you know, I mean, the, the fact, though, I will say it is wild in this day and age and with so much cable, even like that show House of Villains on E!, that reality stars are being able to find a second life and a third life through these other iteration shows. You know, I'm like, wow, Johnny Bananas is still out there doing it? You know, going from the challenge, going to this, going to that. Like, he's actually made this little career for himself. But I wonder about those people. And I, do you guys ever think about this? Is that, uh, do they, they, at the end of the day, go, where the F am I going to be in 10 years? Like, what's the overall plan? What do I need to invest in right now so I don't have to worry about what reality television show is coming down the pike? But even think about it, Jax Taylor being off reality television for a couple of years, I mean, the chance that he got to get back in there, you know, Jax doesn't want to screw that up. I mean, you can tell. I mean, like, you can tell. Jax is doing the best that Jax can because you can tell he wants to be the old Jax, but he's like, nope, I get along with everybody. It's great. Sandoval, he's amazing. Yep. Love all of it. Love it. Love all of it. Like, it's very different. But then you see those little, you see that little, little old Jax shining through. You can picture him ripping off his chunky sweater in a Vegas parking lot going, let's go. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Um, I don't know, though. The, the, the Bethany of it all, I... Uh... I still am trying to find out what good is coming out of this. I thought they were going to feature Rachel's story, Raquel's story, a little bit more because I thought that would have opened up even more of uh, a discussion about mental health, about somebody uh, going through these things, uh, you know, on camera 
And then us, you know, what we've always said about reality television is us, the audience, and our second screen technology, us us Xing and threading and memeing and all of this stuff, that's what make these makes these shows successful at the end of the day, us talking about it. That's what Scandaball was able to like lasso that attention and just ride it to record ratings. But what happens when somebody does something so repugnant that it gets us so fired up? Of course, these people like Sandoval, mainly Sandoval, but also Rachel, they have to take responsibility for their own moral choices. But usually if you're a normal person, that's where it ends. But for them, we all get involved and really get ridiculously furious. And I think rightfully so, because we're like passionate sports fans. But mental health-wise, what is that conversation? What should be provided? Should things be provided? But I was also thinking about when I was a 9-to-5 employee, you know, I was talking to the Patreon about this. I was like, there's never been a job where I, and I don't mean this job because I don't consider this truly a job. It's work, but it's, I love this. But every other job I've had, I've never been like, holy shit, I am getting paid way too much. (laughs) The hours are great. I am loving my medical insurance. Oh my God, what a joy it is to be a nine to five employee. I've never felt that way. I mean, is there anybody listening out there going like, I am making way too much. I'm loving it. Everything uh, my boss is completely supportive. Like that's part of a job. That's part of it. So what are we expecting at the end of the day? What are we not getting? Where do those responsibilities lie? And how do you capture magic on television without harming the cast, with being respectful to the crew, with all of these things? How do you manage all of that? Because it's like this this tight wire that you're walking, I imagine, if you're producing one of these shows. Because you're trying to get scenes. You're trying, and by the way, the Vanity Fair article breaks down a little bit of the process to demystify it. Now, this wasn't, Uh, this wasn't news to me, I know usually, but it talks about beat sheets. It talks about logging all of the scenes that they filmed that day, and those get passed on to Bravo executives, including Andy Cohen, you know, and they also talk about the scenes that they want to get. Remember, these shows, the people in these shows, they have call times. They have to get mic'd up. These shows are lit. These producers know what the stories are because they've interviewed or pre-interviewed these ladies. They also know what's going on behind the scenes. So yes, they are encouraging certain scenarios. They are saying, oh my God, May, will you bring up that Sonia's drinking way too much? But it's that tight wire act because that's what is happening. So we got to comment on that, but you need a character to come in and comment about that but they're not giving per se dialogue. They're not telling somebody how to react, but that's how reality television is put together. These aren't documentaries. These aren't just, I picked up a camera and just shot what I shot. No, these people, like, have you ever had a microphone put on you guys? Unfortunately I have, and it sucks because usually my body's sweaty and it's hard to have adhesive tape stick to it. <laughs> you know, but usually you'll have a sound man, a really nice guy that you usually feel bad for, or a nice woman. And they'll have to run a wire up the uh, up your t-shirt in the back or in front, or they'll try to find a way to hide the mic. And that mic will pick up your sound. And that's why we get clean sound on these shows. That's not why it's like on sometimes this podcast, it'll be like, because I've bumped a mic or something. We get clean sound because of those mics. And the way these, you know, ladies are already so beautiful, but they're even more beautiful because they are lit to be on your TV screen. And that takes a long time to light these scenes. 
So these things have to be structured because at the end of the day, it is a business. They are producing episodes of television. Um, so I thought it was also interesting at the very end, uh, Ebony, Ebony has a great pull quote. I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, cause Ebony was asked if she was a part of this reality reckoning and, uh, I'm trying to find where the, <laughs> this made me laugh so much. Where was it? Oh gosh. I wish there was a pause button on these, uh, Riverside, but it was great. But basically Ebony was like, fuck that. Fuck Bethany Frankel. I'm not going to let some girl talk about my experience with a billion dollar company. Uh, it was so much more well said than that, but I thought that was actually really respectful is that people have complaints that aren't just like jumping on board Frankel's thing, Frankel's little boat. And I think that's important to note. And it actually gives me more credence to Ebony's story overall. Um, but she is holding, you know, saying that, that Ramona Singer did use the, the N-word. Now, Ramona is saying that absolutely did not happen. And there was a little talk about her potentially not coming to BravoCon this weekend, but I guess as of now, she still is, which is just wild. But I feel like it's Groundhog's Day. Like, I feel like we've had this conversation about Ramona for years now. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it's 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 very interesting. And, and I would be curious what you guys think of where this should go. What should happen now? Because uh, I don't believe burn it all down to me is an option at all for this. And Ebony even talks about she wanted to do a show with Bravo after her stint on Real Housewives of New York that didn't come to fruition. I mean, there's all of these little nuggets in this article. I really thought it was going to be so much more, though, for having taken months. And I would love to know the writers, all of the notes left on the floor. All of the stuff that couldn't make this. I think that would be very interesting. And I'm also wondering through a legal eye, you know, what had to be left on the floor due to legalities, due to lawyers. But I do know Bethany seemed to love her photo shoot. Leah seemed to love her Vanity Fair photo shoot. Very beautiful pictures. Uh, there's a nice little Jill Zarin thing in here. <laughs> Jill Zarin talking about having to kiss Andy Cohen's ass, which is just like amazing. Jill Zarin just seems to stick her foot in it every time in some way. It's like she so desperately wants to be a part of this. And then she'll usually say just one thing that's like, well, I don't see how that's going to work out for you in the long run, Jill. <laughs> it's, just, it's wild. But also a lot of, you know, there is a lot of honesty is that, uh, Ebony K. Williams says it's a promotional machine unlike anything you can even buy in terms of being on Bravo. And, and Leah says, yeah, money and clout. And then one housewife who didn't want to be named says, is it any wonder why we cling to it well past its expiration date? And that's what I said. It must be so intoxicating, this kind of fame. And I was just trying to personalize it to think about like, well, where do I do that in my own life? And it's like, I'm out here begging people to listen. I'm out here working my butt out. I'm out here and it's never good enough. I do want more. I do want more people listening. I do want that. Like I, I am never satisfied anymore. And I, I was like, I was trying to relate to this of wanting more, but I'm like, well, I'm actually working at this. I'm actually, and it's weird, but I, kinda, I think they're also potentially, there's a, they're, they're, they could potentially also be upset because they're not in control. You know, their their tenure as a housewife is not promised to them. 
They can be in one season and out the next. You know, they're there. And that can be really hard because you are not the captain of your own ship. You're not the captain of your destiny. And that's what I think upsets Bethany on top of all of that. It's just, uh, it's wild. It is wild. Uh, but there, there's like a sadness to this. Oh, this is the quote I told you about at the very end. The quote says, I want to burn it down. One housewife told me in March. And the writer says, I don't. I still hope there's a way to keep making Bravo shows without cast members feeling they've ruined their lives. Can't humanity be made into entertainment humanely? And she writes, I put this to another housewife, the one who dreamed of being famous, who she talked about earlier in the article. Quote, I take umbrage with humanely, she says. Have you ever seen what it takes to train a Navy SEAL or to become a professional athlete? There's nothing humane about the process to do it. And there's nothing humane about the game of football. And I fucking love it. So that's a really interesting thing as well. I mean, that's a really interesting... Oh, by the way, at the end of this article I'm looking at, it says the story has been updated, which I would be curious what has been updated. I wonder if that stuff has been added or taken out or what. I'm curious if Bravo will comment on this. I don't think anything was so... But I don't think anything was so groundbreaking that it needs a comment. I was kind of bummed... And I said this to you guys the last couple of weeks that this was going to come out on BravoCon week because I just thought, man, I don't want to shade such a joyous event for a lot of people coming and then have this cloud over BravoCon. So I'm glad they put this out on Monday. So by this weekend, hopefully people will not have moved on, but I'm glad this kind of like bomb that Bethany dropped has has set down and we can actually start talking about it and start talking about ways that, well, how do we work within the system to make, to build a better boat? But also, if, if any woman feels like they're ruining their lives, I just always feel like do research on the things that you sign up for. These women audition for these shows like they're going on Saturday Night Live. They want it so desperately. But it's like we said with anything, even talking about Matthew Perry, all the money in the world, all the accolades in the world still will not fill you up if you do not feel right about yourself. It only exacerbates your issues sometimes, any kind of attention. Um, also it opens up about talking about somebody wetting the bed, which I think they referred to later. Uh, that was probably Leah. They reference, uh, they reference Heather Gay peeing in the Sprinter van on this season of Salt Lake City. Uh, this is a quote from another real housewife. If you go to the whorehouse, you're going to get fucked. God, that sounds like Lisa Rinna. If you go to the whorehouse, you're going to get fucked. If we do this, it's at our own peril. We know that and we don't fucking care. <laughs> they say the highest rated, uh, cast, highest paid cast members can earn up to $1 million a season. I mean, that's not chump change because remember, they only shoot like three to four months, you know? Uh, this is another quote from an unnamed source. Have I been put through the ringer 100%? It's still better than my worst day withering away at a life of quiet desperation. Holy shit. Was that Tennessee Williams? Like, that sounds like a, like a shake. Uh, oh, still better than my worst day withering away at a life of quiet desperation. And then this person talks about going to BravoCon, a three-day convention attended by 30,000 fans. She turned to two former fellow Bravo celebrities and said, how do I ever be happy after this? My God, we are all so fragile. Oh God, it's just wild. Our attention economy. What did you guys think? I'm going to keep reading through this over the next couple of days. I'll be adding to this conversation. I'm sure I'll be talking about this a lot more, but I just wanted to give you some initial thoughts and, um, you know, I mean, I want people to feel that the, I want people to 
feel the best that they can working at a job. But I also want everybody that signs up for reality television to realize at the end of the day, it is a job. There does have to be a little bit of personal responsibility taken. And my other just huge question is, where do we go from here? Do we say people can't drink on the shows? I mean, Real Housewives of New York this season, it felt like an overcorrection in some ways because you're like, oh, you guys really hated that last season of Real Housewives of New York? Okay, well, two of the ladies on this cast don't even drink. I mean, you got Uba and Jenna Lyons that don't drink. You got all these other ladies. I don't think we saw anybody fully trashed. We saw some people like Sai said she was drunk in that last episode, but nobody was fully trashed. And that doesn't mean, you know, but like, you know what I'm saying? But then some people were like, oh my God, it's like too much of a therapy session. They were talking about the Roni reunion. I liked it. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, I thought it, it was a good foundation from which to build. But sometimes people just want mess. Sometimes people want the housewives that walks on that extremely wild side. Some people still want to watch Ramona, even though she behaves like this. Because people are like, well, we know Ramona's horrible. It's still fun to watch. It's an escape. I don't want to hang out with her. I just want to laugh at her because I think a lot of us laugh at her. I don't think, I mean, it scares me to think of the people that are like, hell yeah, Ramona. That's what I'm talking about. Let this lady poop on the floor in peace. Speak your truth, Ramona. Like, no, we've seen her many times say insanely horrible things on this show. Oh God. Okay. I'm going to stop this for the day. Cause we got a great show. We got a great guest. Also, uh, I'm so sorry to all the ladies and some of the guys out there. Channing Tatum and Zoe Kravitz are engaged after two years of dating. It's been tough on the ladies and some of the gay men out there because you had Chris Evans get married. You have Channing Tatum off the market now. My God. Uh, So I'm sorry. My apologies to everybody about that. Also, I wanted to let you know uh, a little bit uh, about Matthew Perry in regards to the Friends cast. They released a joint statement, which I told you they were going to do because the Friends cast has always been really united in kind of working as one. They did this thing when their first contract negotiation came up at NBC when like Friends was like killing it in the ratings. And instead of negotiating separately each actor, so like say, oh, Matthew Perry could have asked for, I want to get paid more than Jennifer Aniston. They chose, on David Schwimmer's suggestion, they chose to negotiate as a team. So anytime any of those people got a raise, they all got a raise. So the cast of Friends all made the same exact amount of money. And I thought that was brilliant. But they always worked together as a team, which I remember just like thinking how cool that that cast did that. Well, they released their first statement as a team as well. And it says, we are also utterly devastated by the loss of Matthew. We were more than just castmates. We are a family. There is so much to say, but right now we're going to take a moment to grieve and process this unfathomable loss. In time, we will say more as and when we are able. For now, our thoughts and our love are with Maddie's family, his friends, and everyone who loved him around the world. And I thought that was a beautiful, straight-to-the-point statement, so we can stop expecting statements. I will say this was in a People Magazine article that the headline is, Despite reports, Lisa Kudrow is not adopting Matthew Perry's dog because he didn't have one. And that's how ridiculous sometimes pop culture journalism and rumors have gotten was that there was an article, I think, on Sunday in the Daily Mail saying Lisa Kudrow is considering adopting Matthew Perry's dog. Well, it turns out Matthew Perry didn't have a fucking dog. 
He had one with his ex-fiancee, and the ex-fiancee has taken care of the dog since they had split a while ago. But this is just how wild, like, things get misreported, things get misconstrued. We start spreading around these, like, rumors, and it's just crazy because we all want that information. So, Lisa Kudrow, I'm sure, would have wanted Matthew Perry's dog, but he didn't have one to adopt. So, put that out of your head, but it's it's wild. There's stories. So, I thought that was a beautiful statement from the Friends cast. Okay, let's get to our guest today, because I got a new podcast to share with you all. I, with you all, with you all, with you all. I'm how Sometimes the way I say things is just ridiculous. You can just sometimes hear the Kansan in me. I'm just like, y'all, what up, y'all? Oh, my God. Well, it's this new podcast. It's called In Retrospect with Susie Banacarum and Jessica Bennett. And this is the log line. I read it I read it in there, but it says, is there a cultural moment from your past that looks different in retrospect? Maybe it's a scandalous tabloid story seared into your teenage brain or a political punchline that just feels wrong now. Um And these ladies break down these kind of cultural moments, these pop cultural moments, everything from this just a couple days ago, they talked about the the Britney Spears book, but in relation to Britney Spears when she first came up, um, they have Mary Kay Letourneau episodes, they had a Dawson Creeks episode, they had Oprah episode when she pulled out that red wagon with all that weight loss fat on it, which we talk about. They talk about Pamela Anderson and the iconic red swimsuit, the, uh, the Baywatch phenomenon. I just think this is a really lovely pop culture podcast that I've added to my rotation and I just think these two women... Now, Jessica Benacarum, she's the guest that's with us. Uh, Jessica couldn't be here, but she is great as well. And I highly recommend just trying this. I think it's so great that we have these pop culture moments and these brilliant people to dissect them so we don't forget them. They are worthy of studying, and it gets me so excited. Like, we, I love that there's a history to all of this stuff. I mean, this show itself is a celebration of pop culture and these like kind of historical moments to me and sometimes to you of why these things are important, why they should be remembered. We should not be ashamed of them. And these two ladies, they're brilliant. So like like a doofus like me with an Arizona State University education, you're like, ah, okay, he might be going through something. He's funny sometimes. But these two ladies, oh my gosh, they're brilliant. Brilliant ladies. So I highly recommend their podcast. Two more things uh, before we get to that. I'll be on Jeff Lewis Live this morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Hope it goes good. I hope I don't blow it. It'll be my second time on the show, so it'll be great. And then finally, this is Halloween, and Halloween, of course, very spooky holiday, but it also was my uh, parents' wedding anniversary today. Uh, My parents, Bill and Becky Bailey, would have been married 53 years today? My God, 53 years today. And this will be the, uh, the first Halloween that my mom's not been here. Gosh, I was just thinking about this. It just seems like this, God, this is this is what life is now, is just remembering like, oh, okay, this holiday. Oh, how does that relate to my dead mom? And how does this, and you worry about your dad and you're like, oh God, I got to make sure, I hope he's okay. And it's, I, it just, it just makes you sad overall. My parents got married on um, Halloween because they're both witches. No, 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 no. They got married on Halloween because they were poor. And Halloween was the only time that was like cheap to get married on. Cause I guess nobody was like, trying to get married on Halloween because it's Halloween. But in Columbus, Ohio, they got married um, 53 years ago today and had a semi-successful relationship. They had me, gift from God, and then my sister, not as good, but still pretty good. So semi-successful. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to give a shout out to 
to my parents, uh, not to... If my mom's listening, but it was just something that was in my mind. I've just been thinking about it all day and kind of just going over it and spinning out on that thought. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So, uh, I love you guys and I think you're going to love this guest. So let's get to her from the podcast in retrospect. Here she is, Susie Banacaro. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash betches. Guys, welcome back to So Bad It's Good, presented by Betches Media. Listen, some of my favorite things I get to do on this show is recommend new things to you, uh, things that I actually like. And I'm going to recommend a podcast to you today that I have fallen in love with immediately. Uh, it is a subject that is very close to my heart. And of course, it's pop culture. But the podcast itself is called In Retrospect with Susie Banakaram and Jessica Bennett. And Susie is with us here today. But let me just read this before we get introduced to Susie. This is the logline for the show. Is there a cultural moment from your past that looks different in retrospect? Maybe it's a scandalous tabloid story seared in your teenage brain or a political punchline that just feels wrong now. It might be a very specific red swimsuit that inspired a decade of plastic surgery, see Baywatch, or the inescapable smell of an entire generation of prepubescent boys, Axe Body Spray. Each week, in retrospect, Emmy-winning journalist Susie Banacaram and New York Times editor Jessica Bennett revisit a pop culture moment from the 80s and 90s that shaped them to try to understand what it taught us about the world and a woman's place in it. And I've got to tell you, I've listened to all the episodes and it has been such a refreshing podcast that brings me back. Uh, there's just a handful of episodes out right now, but there is, uh, I was just listening to last night, the Oprah weight loss in the red wagon of her pulling her 65 pounds of fat. Like that moment as a child is seared into my memory. So please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Susie Banacaram. Susie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. 
Um, uh, well, we'll make sure that excitement goes away real quick. Um, <laughs> I don't so, <laughs> uh, listen, Susie and Jessica, there's a great episode. It's a real quick episode explaining how they know each other, which is great. Yeah. I always think more podcasts should do that because I'm always curious about your relationship. But as a little cheat sheet, how did you and Jessica, your co-host, uh, meet? So Jessica and I met many years ago when we were both at Newsweek Daily Beast, right when, I don't know if people remember this era in media, but there was a time when Newsweek Magazine and Daily Beast, which was like a digital upstart at that time, were merged. And um, it was a very strange relationship that eventually did end up being a divorce. And I joined as the head of video and she was a writer for Newsweek magazine. And we met at an event my first week, there was like a big um, newsroom event. And it was pretty chaotic. And we found each other across a crowded room, we like to call it our meet cute. (laughs) And we've been friends ever since. So, you know, I think we've been through lots of different phases of our own career and lots of phases of media together. So part of, um, you know, the way we came up with this idea for the podcast was that we would have these conversations ourselves. Like late at night, we're both not great sleepers. Late at night, we would call each other when everyone else was sleeping and we would talk about, you know, this or that sort of pop culture thing from our memories or things that were happening. And we thought, you know, honestly this is interesting and maybe there's something here. And that's how we came up with this idea. I think it's just such a great idea because there's such a wealth of uh, things to pull from. There's so yeah. many moments. And I was sitting here like, cause I was like, oh my God, what are future episodes going to be? I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to do the Hugh Grant going on Jay Leno once he was busted for the, uh, the, the, the sex worker on Hollywood Boulevard. I was like, I wonder if they're going to cover that. I would like, I think when you listen to this show, what's so great is that you then collect your like little memories. And I was yeah. going back trying to think of these moments as a kid in the eighties and nineties with like that really, like I was like, oh, is there going to be like a 90210 Melrose Place episode? Oh, is there really going to be? I really do want to do 90210. It's not on the list yet, but I do really want to do, especially kind of the way that Shannon Doherty was like villainized in such a meaningful way. There was like all this online. I mean, I guess it wouldn't have been online then, but there was all this <laughs> chatter about how much people hated Brenda and she sort of took the hit for that in her personal life as well. And I think those moments are super interesting. I was a big 90210 fan. I watched the like reboot even. <laughs> Because I apparently never grow up, so I love a teen show. Um, But yeah, that's one of the fun things about this. People do like message us all the time, or friends do, being like, oh, have you thought about this, or have you thought about that? And we would love for listeners to do that too. So, you know, feel free to send in ideas if you're listening to the show. We would love it. Um, Some other moments we're going to tackle this week, I'm sorry, not this week, but this (laughs) season are, um, we're going to talk about Amy Fisher and the sort of like uh, that. Joey Buttafuoco and that whole. Joey Buttafuoco, kind of what went on there. We're going to talk about Dawson's Creek. Jess was like a really big Dawson's Creek fan. And so we're going to talk about this relationship um, on the first season between Pacey, who was a teenage boy and his 30 something year old teacher. And that was so wild because I, you know, I watched Dawson's Creek when it aired, but I hadn't rewatched it. And I rewatched the first season before we recorded and like so much sexual innuendo that I did not get as a teen. Like I did not realize how crazy it was. And then there's this wild scene where Pacey says to his teacher, to be clear, I'm the best sex you're never going to have. And I was like, as an adult woman, just such a joke. Like this 16 year old boy is not going to be the best sex she's never had like that's crazy oh. when you're a teenager you're like 
Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, good, good. That's a great yeah, thing to say. Right. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, and then also we get to talk about Mary Kay Letourneau. I don't know if you remember oh that. Oh my, of course, Mary Kay. Are, are you kidding me? Of course I remember. Yeah. These things, that's what I'm saying. Like what's so interesting about pop culture too is that, you know, in, I think starting in the 80s, potentially more the late 80s, is that we started mixing up pop culture with actual not illegal activities, but like it, be, it became global in the sense of, like you said, like the Joey Buttafuoco and the Amy Fisher, like all of these things became pop culture. They were kind of like uh, co-opted by pop culture. Yeah. And we were like, that's ours too. Well, I think what's interesting for both of us who are reality fans is that a lot of times what comes up when we're covering these stories is that these are almost like reality shows before reality shows, right? We didn't, when we didn't have that, we had these news stories that became kind of soap operas of their own, right? Like the Amy Fisher story, which was really a story about a 30-something-year-old man sleeping with a 16-year-old girl, became instead sort of this trope about seductive lolitas about girls like seducing men and you know i mean there's lots of complicated things about amy fisher she did shoot a woman so i'm not i'm not totally yeah. she's, she's not perfect her. everybody she's um, not perfect but i think that is this interesting thing is that before we had people who chose to give us access to their lives there were these celebrities whose lives became sort of um myth or story and didn't always really have a relationship with their actual lives and that's what we're trying to really mine for this Susie, you are so right, though, too. And I also loved what you said earlier about the 90210 and Brenda, you know, but it was pre-online. But there was this I have as a kid. I bought the I hate Brenda book. I still have the I hate Brenda. There was a novelization that I spent my allowance money on the I hate Brenda book. And it has her face on it with a red like the X through it. And I was like, that's wild because. There wasn't online forums back there really? for us to all go and take out our hate. So there was actually books about yeah, hating like this books person, this and character. Magazines and it just is interesting, right? That even before we had this sort of like online arena where these ideas come together, that somehow there were these big ideas that took shape and these like narratives that took shape about celebrities and in large part, media contributed to that. So it's also sort of just like looking at media critically. We're both journalists. So we know exactly how things can go awry. And we just want to be honest about that. I think it's important to sort of hear from the people who make your news that, you know, it's imperfect. And we know it's imperfect. And part of getting better is, you know, paying attention and looking back. Yeah, I, and I think it's really important. And that's what I love about pop culture is that this this should be studied. This should, you can actually chart a course of where we are today. If you go back and look, you can see how we got here. You can see where we're at. And, you know, it, it seems so much more insane because it's not even a 24 seven news cycle. It's a second by second news cycle. Yeah. And that includes pop culture, but it it wasn't always this way. We see from these like eighties and nineties, how things kind of exploded. And I find that like, I love that this is out there and I love that you two are doing it because I trust you guys. Like I've read so much of Jessica's work in the past and I was like, yeah. you guys are heavy hitters. And to talk about something that I dearly love, this is what I always fight for. It's like shows like this, that I want to have this as a debate. I want yeah. archival footage of the, I want big minds to talk about this stuff because I think it's worthy of studying. Well, I mean, I hope that we can live up to the idea of being big minds. I know Jess can, at least. Um, but yeah. So, uh, hey, stop it, Susie. By the way, Susie also, I just want to bone to pick with her. They do that episode where they introduce, and she's like, you know, I'm kind of on the lower sometimes taste because I like reality shows, and I know you don't. I'm like, screw that, Susie. You need to stand up for reality shows. Listen, Jessica <laughs> likes Dawson's Creek. That's just as bad as reality yeah, shows. Be fair, proud. Be proud of loving reality shows. 
Yeah, I mean, okay, that's true. And that's fair. I actually am really not at all ashamed of loving reality shows. I want to be clear. I worked on a reality <laughs> show. I was a producer on Wife Swap. So no shame here well, at yeah, all. Yeah, the first right? season of Wife Swap you produced. Yes. I did. I was Legendary. a producer on the first season of Wife Swap, which was an absolutely wild ride. And we do have an episode where we talk about kind of regrets. And I talk about some of the things that we were asked to do on that show as producers, which looking back are, you know, concerning. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was a different time. You know, I mean, we didn't really know better in terms of how to treat people. And I think there was very little understanding of mental health. And, you know, people who signed up for reality shows back then didn't really know what they were getting into. So it was really just like a very different yeah. environment. But yeah, when I say that I'm the low end of the high low <laughs> with Jess and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just think it is the case that I really, in my career, have done some, you know, very like classic journalist things. I've interviewed the president. I, you know, I've like done all the things. I mean, you've been that, in newsrooms. like Yeah, I've been in newsrooms. Like I've run newsrooms. So yeah, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating, but it is true that I will spend an afternoon watching a Lifetime movie and Jess would never do that. You know? so or, just or, a, or a Hallmark, a Hallmark uh, holiday Hallmark movies are movies, about to come definitely. up. We're going to do an episode about Hallmark movies. Like I think Hallmark movies are really interesting and introduced an idea that we hear a lot now, which is this idea of comfort television. Like now there are whole shows that Netflix markets as comfort television but Hallmark yeah. is kind of the original of that, right? It's so unchallenging. It's warm. It's like everybody loves each other. The conflicts are easily resolved. It's like you can just have it on in the background and it makes you feel soothed. And that's yeah. a real thing. You know, that's meaningful, I think. I think it totally is meaningful. I just sometimes hate when conglomerates like Netflix know that and then yeah. they abuse it. They're like, we're going to push this algorithm directly at you on your couch with a big box of popcorn, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, the algorithm, unfortunately, does know us, so they know how to game us. Um, one of your first episodes, or one of the most recent ones, was the Oprah moment with the red wagon. Yeah. And I love the details, the research that went into this. And I remember as a kid watching watching this, and you brought this up just a second ago about mental health. Mental health wasn't a thing like it is now. Yeah. You know, you were talking about wife swap, but also in terms of weight loss and yeah. body positivity. And we had this moment that was such a huge moment of Oprah, you know, wheeling this fat in on a red wagon. She really teased it out because she was just such an icon and understood how to tease an audience and, you know, reveal something, make it big. And we all just thought that was completely awesome and normal. And if that happened in 2023, I think it would be a completely different moment, but it was a different time back then, right? Well, yeah. So I think a couple things about this. Partially, I do think the moment is different, but also look at all the conversations we're having around Ozempic, right? We still love to see a celebrity lose weight. We're still fascinated by it. There is still just this cultural obsession with celebrity bodies, right? And I think women's bodies particularly. And you know, I think Oprah is an interesting person because Oprah was not the typical person you saw on television. In fact, when she was asked to host the Oprah show, the thing she said to the man who was offering her the job was, you know that I'm black and I'm fat, right? Which is like such a fascinating thing, right? Here's this woman. She will go on to be the, you know, maybe the most successful woman of our time. And she herself is sort of like, you know, expressing this concern about whether or not she fits some kind of mold. And then she goes on to be an enormous success. She is making $25 million a year. She's been nominated for an Oscar. And yet 
she still feels that her weight is so defining that she does this episode, this like very famous episode where she's lost 67 pounds and she wheels out this wagon with animal fat to be like, look at all this disgusting fat I've, you know, lost from my body. And it's her highest rated episode of her 25 years on the air. It's the highest rated episode, which really gives you a sense of how much we love these transformations. And I think that's partially because, you know, they give us hope. In real life, change is really, really hard. You know, losing 67 pounds takes forever. And, you know, having something transformative happen to you is not something that feels attainable. And so when we see these big moments, they give us hope for ourselves. But nobody really stepped back and asked the question of like, is that the right thing for Oprah to be doing? Is that the right thing for Oprah's body? Like she literally says... In retrospect, that, no pun intended, that, you know, looking back, she really regrets it. She, by the time that week was over, she could no longer fit into the jeans she was wearing on the show. I mean, it just wasn't a sustainable weight loss. She had starved herself for months and months to get into these jeans. And she was modeling something that wasn't, that wasn't attainable. It wasn't just aspirational. It was flat out not possible. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of us have to grapple with as we, become women and ask ourselves like how we're going to feel about ourselves and how much we're going to question our own worth based on our physical appearance. And it's really hard. I think as a woman, I think as a man, it can be really hard sometimes too. you know, we are always looking for the ways in which we're not good enough. And I think, you know, Oprah, who is this woman you think would have all the confidence in the world, her expressing this vulnerability made her a target in a lot of ways, but also you know, when you look at it, it's it, it was brave in other ways. So we're yeah. trying not to be scolding in this at all. We're not trying to say like, oh, look, what oh, this and you're not. did. We're really trying to come from a place of like deep empathy because, you know, I, I love Oprah. That's the whole thing. These are things we loved, you know? Oh man, I, I love Oprah so much. And I, I don't really share this story. And, and by the way, like this is, you know, I have such a female listenership, but it's sometimes... I feel like I'm not a guy sometimes. It's just that, like, <laughs> I, I bought Oprah's book. Like I yo-yo weights. I mean, I have I wish I'd yo-yo back down, but I've been, you know, <laughs> I yo-yo weight a lot. Uh, but when I was, uh, uh, in high, like the end of high school, beginning of college, one of her first weight loss books, I think with, I forgot what the guy's name, maybe Bob or something, but yeah. I got this book at like a Walden books when those existed on like the $5 thing. And I had, put on a lot of weight. And this was the book that helped me get back into shape, but also I was not doing it healthy either. Like I was just like, just, okay, just basically one, eat one meal a day and do this. But she, I trusted Oprah. I trust Oprah. And it's interesting. You point out this, that I forgot completely. They did the same thing on the show with Kirstie Alley. Like Kirstie Alley will come back in a year and wear a bikini. I was like, way that and then I remember that actually happened like they did that of course yeah those were hugely popular shows for her those weight loss reveals were hugely popular and in fact I was a producer on Katie Couric's talk show and for the first episode we spent months trying to decide what we were going to do and what we did was a weight loss reveal for Jessica Simpson you know because we knew those things rated right so she was a spokesperson for Weight Watchers at the time And she was going to come on in a bathing suit to show us like how much weight she lost with Weight Watchers. And what we didn't know at the time is she was pregnant. So she hadn't lost enough weight to be in a bathing suit because she was pregnant. But we didn't know that. I'm not even sure. I don't even know if Weight Watchers knew that. So she had to come on in a dress. And it was this whole drama about like, how were we going to show her weight loss, but she wasn't going to be in a, in a bikini. And 
you know, I think those shows did well. There's a reason they kept doing them. And um, they speak to something, you know, that I think we all sort of struggle with. And so it makes people who seem like they have perfect lives relatable. And so we love that on some level. We want to feel like those people who have all the things we don't have you know, suffer in some of the same ways we do, you know? Yeah. I mean, like they're sharing their Achilles heel with us. Like Oprah has everything, but she's sharing this one part of herself that she doesn't seem to be able to fully get under control. And then she's learning as, you know, we just look up to her and then she's like, you know what? That wasn't the right thing to do, but we didn't know that at the time. We're like, yay, Oprah. And then she's like learning how to do that. But that's so interesting about these celebrities that share things, but also you just reminded me about Jessica Simpson. There's, you know, it's like what we, you know, we were fat shaming certain women oh my in God. pop culture. culture to Jessica Simpson, like the mom. And I think the other thing that's fascinating when you go back and look at this stuff is that I will look back at that mom jeans picture and be like, she is objectively not fat in this picture. <laughs> like, but we were convinced that's what I'm that saying. she was actually fat. Like we're like, oh yeah, she doesn't look good. It's like, she looked beautiful. So it's so crazy. Oh my- like, our own brains were so like wash awash in this stuff. So we really believed all of these stories that we were told. And so then we felt bad about ourselves, but Jessica Simpson has always been a beautiful girl. She was never overweight in any meaningful way. You know, it was weird. It's like, sometimes we have like this cultural blindness in pop culture where we just like, yep, that's, and then you look back and you're like, God, that's what an amazing, I mean, she looks amazing. Um, I was thinking about my own ones and I, uh, I'll try to say this delicately, but it was just, thinking of pop culture moments of when JLo first really started to like pop in terms of her music and movies all together. I don't, I think people forget about this. There was so many articles, late night talk show hosts, everybody joking about her butt about like what oh, yeah. a big butt, what an amazing big butt. Oh my God, the butt. It was guys every night they would, that was the punchline on so many jokes. It was highlighting the butt, the butt, this, the butt, that. And it's so weird now because like, you know, in a post Kardashian world, yeah, you know, you look at JLo that, I mean, it's a half, it's like average, butt. like it's, it's but <laughs> yeah. at the time we were like, everybody joked about this, butt. where she even admitted she started getting insecure about her own body that she had always thought was beautiful. And I, so I find that interesting that we all kind of even hopped on that bandwagon. Well, yeah, because, you know, we were coming out of heroin, heroin chic, right? Remember the right before JLo popped, there was this era of the Kate Moss model, the sort of like yep. looked like a little boy, sort of was like flat chested, no butt, like really wafy. And so I think when that's the model, then you look at someone like JLo, who's just like a healthy, beautiful woman. And you wonder if that's like, wrong in some way. And the truth is none of this is wrong. Like people should be okay with whatever bodies they've been given. It's just not so easy, right? Like I've struggled myself. You've said that you've struggled. And actually Oprah released a special recently and she um interviewed some doctors about Ozempic, right? Because that's become such a hot topic, obviously a big real housewives hot topic. <laughs> and one of the things she talked about is how she even she has just now at this age finally come to accept that, you know, weight is actually a brain issue. It's not a matter of willpower or self-control the way we've been led to believe. It's actually a real medical condition that has medical interventions that make sense. And they said this thing on the special, this Harvard doctor said this thing that absolutely blew my mind, um, which is that your weight set point is as genetic as your eye color. Now, that is crazy. That's the opposite of what we've been taught, right? What we've been taught is if we just had more self-control, more willpower, more 
you know, strength, we would be able to change this thing about ourselves. But you would never think you could change your eye color, right? You can't. You just can't do it. Yeah. So it's yeah. really just like accepting that some of this stuff is genetic. It's not, you know, a, a lack of strength to struggle with these issues. And there are, you know, increasingly better medical interventions. And we shouldn't shame people for that either. Like I find the whole Ozempic shaming also distasteful because I'm like, let women do what they want with their own bodies. Like, let's stop acting like it should yeah. be our decision. It is funny what we make the hot button issues in terms of pop culture that like gets branched out into society. Um, you also, speaking of looks in a sense, you also have an episode on Pamela Anderson, Baywatch, right. the red suit. And, you know, I always forget that Baywatch really globally was like the number one show out there. Yeah, I, I honestly had no idea. Jess was the one who did the research for that episode. So she has, you know, met Pamela Anderson, she's interviewed her. And so she really had spent a lot of time thinking about this red bathing suit and what it came to represent in American culture. And the fact is, is that, you know, Pamela Anderson and her Baywatch era was a huge boon to plastic surgeons, women would literally just go in with a picture of Pamela Anderson and say, <laughs> I want to look like this, you know, and it makes sense. She became kind of this iconic American girl, this California girl that all over the world is what sort of people picture when they think of an American girl. And that's really interesting too, right? Like what we kind of define as what it means to be American, what it means to look American. You know, I think those things, I'm, you know, an immigrant, I'm an Iranian um, immigrant. And so, you know, I think for me as a girl, that was also really interesting. It took me a while to sort of be like, it's okay. I can be American and also look like me. And, you know, Pam is such an interesting person because she has really embraced aging in a way that I think you might not have expected if you knew her from that era. She just recently did Paris Fashion Week without makeup. You know, she's someone who I think really sort of defies these, um, you know, blonde bimbo stereotypes that were placed on her. But she, you know, she, she became sort of um, a, a sort of caricature, right? Like people sort of forgot yeah. that there was like a person in the bathing suit. She just became this image to the point where, you know, they would sell like calling cards with her picture on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sell everything with just her picture on it. You know, I mean, it's so funny, too, because she's Canadian, but yeah. she did become this American symbol yeah. and that really got. And, and you know, like I said, Baywatch was not just popular in America. It was worldwide, the number Hugely one show. Yeah. And Baywatch is from a geek standpoint, like it was insane because it started off as an NBC show, didn't last more than one season, and then Hasselhoff syndicated this thing and it got huge and made stars out of a, a couple of people on that. But I find it interesting and what I love about your show, though, and it's that's why in retrospect is the perfect title, because you do have the benefit of all of these years in between and to see where they are now, because Pam Anderson, if you watch that Netflix documentary that was released last yeah, year or read her autobiography, I mean, you get, you know, or even with Oprah seeing where they are now, seeing where this moment happened and being able to like, I keep saying that chart that course. Yeah. That's what I find fascinating is like, look how we change and yeah. look at the people that make these decisions. And like you said, Pamela Anderson at fashion week, she was celebrated last week for not wearing makeup for coming out naturally. And I just thought what an interesting thing, because I remember times in Pam Anderson's career, especially where she was completely lambasted, made fun of. Yeah. Obviously we saw the, uh, the sex tape happen. And, and, uh, I think it was Hulu did the series on that a couple of years ago, uh, which was like a comedic series, even though she said it was a horrifying moment yeah, in her she, life. She actually hated that series from what I understand. I think she felt like it was 
you know, sort of taking her story and making their own decisions about it, right? And already, I think Pam Anderson is someone whose narrative has been co-opted a lot, right? So she, I think at this age, at this stage of her life, she wants to own her own story. And she should. She has a really interesting story to tell. And that's also an interesting thing that's kind of going on that Jess and I talk about a lot. You know, Jess did a lot of this work we're used to now, which is, you know, she did the first big interview with Monica Lewinsky when she came back from the scene. And she's sort of done these articles revisiting these women who were, as she puts it, scorned. And, you know, Pam is sort of an example of that too, right? She was sort of treated like this dumb bimbo. But Pam has a lot of really interesting things to say. And she should get to say that herself. And, you know, we're telling a lot of those stories again, But I think as a culture, we have to be careful not to tell the stories for other people, to let them actually participate in those stories as much as possible, which is why, you know, on the show, we focus more on moments, like cultural moments, rather than just being like, you know, let's just talk about this person and decide how this person felt. Because we don't know, you know, we can't know what Pam or Oprah felt unless we ask them. And, you know, we try to, but sometimes we, we don't get it and we get to sort of express our own relationship to what happened to them rather than trying to kind of decipher how it felt for them. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. I think that's the fascinating thing when you bring up like the the culture itself. It's like not just that person, but how it did shape the culture, like how we did go on these like kind of bandwagon rides in this certain, and sometimes when you do that, the actual person gets lost in that, you know, you yeah. only know the person's yeah. story in retrospect in certain ways. Um, you just brought up women scorned. And I was just thinking about that in the, the terms of like positioning things like a woman scorned and stuff like that. And, and do we really, we don't, do we have the equivalent for that of a man at all? I mean, you know, you, I, and I don't really want, I include the me too movement because I think those are very specifically yeah, why. I mean, I think that's like very different, more, right? but I was like, you know, is there even an equivalent? Why are women always scorned in pop culture moments and men, uh, they're just men. Yeah, well, I mean, I have this theory uh, that's sort of emerged over these last few months of doing this show, which is that it all sort of goes back uh, to the original sin, right? All of these stories, to some degree, are about women tempting men to go astray or women not like, you know, being good enough or right. And that is all back to the original story, right? Like Eve leads Adam astray. And in large part, that's the story of Amy Fisher. Amy Fisher led Joey Buttafuoco astray. That's the story we were told. And so I think we have this idea that women um, hold all the responsibility when something goes wrong, you know, and we, we sort of hold women accountable in ways we don't hold men, right? So, you know, when we look back on this moment with Oprah, it's often sort of looked back on as something she did to the culture rather than something that was happening to her by the culture. We give women onus. And with men, we're just forgiving. Boys will be boys. It's locker room talk. It's like, it's okay. You know, and I think, you know, another story we do that I think is a really interesting episode is the Robin Givens, Mike Tyson um, interview with Barbara Walters. That's not out yet, is it? 
It's not out yet. It will be out in uh, um, about a month. Oh, my goodness. And that interview, this famous interview that Mike Tyson and Robin Givens did with Barbara Walters, where, you know, Robin admits that he's being essentially physically abusive to her is just fascinating because instead of it being sympathetic for her, instead of the public responding to that by being like, oh, my God, this poor woman is being literally physically beat up by the heavyweight champion of the world, the culture turns on Robin Givens and she becomes known as literally the most hated woman in America. They put her on the cover of People magazine with the headline, why does everybody hate me? You know, there's like tons of articles and there's a poll on CNN where everyone says they hate her. I mean, it's really sad when you <laughs> look back CNN, on it. On CNN. <laughs> but it's really this thing, again, where it's like, why is Robin responsible for Mike Tyson's behavior? Like the attitude, the public attitude was that she had humiliated him. How dare she humiliate this man by telling the truth about what he was doing to her? And so we have this idea that women are responsible for men's behavior. It's why it really is wild that that persists so much. Oh my gosh. I just, I remember, cause I remember I was young when that came out, but I used to watch any Barbara Walters special. I used to watch it. And I was thinking about that, just where we are now is that now, I mean, like the press cycle, just even this week, you got Jada Pinkett Smith, her book's coming out. So you got all these quotes out there about Will Smith. And once again, I mean, I, I even am not admittedly right now a huge Jada Pinkett Smith fan, but it kind of goes to your point of we are fully blaming this woman for this man's downfall. I mean, I'm even a little hazy on where I, I, I don't, but it yeah. is interesting back in the day, there was only a couple places to really get these. Like everybody was glued to their sets for these Barbara Walters specials or these special interviews on these three or four main networks because we didn't have like now, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith. And then today we wake up to Britney Spears book excerpts about yeah. Justin Timberlake. And we're like, okay, okay, Jada, you can sit down for a second. It moves <laughs> so quickly where this did go on for a little bit with Robin Gibbons. Yeah. I mean, I think the Jada Pinkett Smith thing is kind of funny because I in no way blame her for what Will Smith did. Like that was all about Will Smith and his ego. I think his it's ego, wild yeah. that anyone blamed her, but I also do feel like everything I'm learning about their relationship, I'm learning against my will. Like, I'm like, why is everyone <laughs> telling me about this marriage? I have no interest in what's going on between these two. So, and I, you know, I like both of them. I think they're both interesting people, but it feels like their marriage is a mess. And I would prefer that they work that out in therapy, not on, you know, my social media timeline. But um, yeah, I think, you know, look at um, the way we talked about Amber Heard even, right? Like wherever you fall on that, it is, again, this way in which we kind of villainize women and give men a pass. So we're like, look, you know, maybe that relationship was a mess. And so we're much more forgiving of the man in that situation. And we're willing to kind of cut him Slack. Certainly, that's what you saw online. Like the online reaction was so pro Johnny Depp, and it was used as this way to kind of turn her into a joke, right? And whatever, wherever you fall on that particular story, it does just follow a pattern, right? And so that's also what's so interesting is looking back and being like, you can draw a straight line from the way that Robin Givens was treated to the way Megan the Stallion was treated when she went through what she went through. Like you can really yeah. see the sort of patterns. And that is so interesting when you spend time with it. That's what I love pop culture. That's why I love your show. That's why I think this stuff does need to be studied and can be studied yeah. because as you know, much as things 
you know, things change, they stay the same. Like yeah. they just, it's on a bigger platform or multi-platforms. And I find that fascinating. Um, speaking of Amber Heard, I was just, and I'm, I'm not the biggest Elon Musk fan, but I read that autobiography that just came, or, or biography from Walter Isaacson. And uh, there's a whole ch- section where he's dating Amber Heard. And at this point, Elon's done a lot of bad stuff already, you know, but there's this section about like, oh, she was horrible to him. She was just horrible. I'd never seen him like that. And all of a sudden I'm like, we're supposed to feel bad for Elon, Elon Musk. Like, once, I know. It's like, like again, Amber like, Heard is like being shit on again. I just thought it was funny. I'm, I'm impressed you read that whole book. I mean, I, there's some part of me that feels like I should, but I also... Don't think I can spend that much time with Elon Musk. You know I cheated. I, li- I listened to the audiobook on car rides from Arizona. Just as fast as I- so, and I'm not, I do not like Elon Musk, but for some reason I was like, it's, it's free at the library. Let's do this. <laughs> and I'm glad I did because it, w- it was very, in, in terms of artificial intelligence, I thought it was really scary and interesting what they're doing. Um, but it, it was interesting that Amber Heard section, I was just like laughing to myself. I'm like, this guy is, is wild. Like we're supposed to feel bad for Elon. Well, and also he did this really messed up thing to her. I don't know if you noticed this, but after the book came out, he, I guess, must have mentioned in the book or in some interview that she had dressed up as some video like game Overwatch character. character. Yeah, some video they, they, they both And then he, he released the picture, which was very clearly like a private picture she had taken for him of her in this like getup. And I was like, honestly, this is like a messed up thing to do, right? Like this is essentially yeah. like a version of revenge porn. Like why are you doing this like if you even if you don't like Amber Heard it's disgusting to reveal this picture just so you can impress your like ex fanboys you know like stop it I, mean, I sometimes never, don't get I Elon know. these billionaires they want to be in pop culture like yeah. they're these billionaires but then they want to be they want to be the guy that's making the memes and want to be the doing the twitter jokes and I'll just never understand that um you No know, if I had Elon Musk's money I can promise you that I would just be like somewhere relaxing like I would be yeah, sleeping peace. on a bed of it that's, like, it. I, that's right. I always think about that with the Kardashians. Like, we, you know, at a certain point, like, just, hey, it's it might be too much. Just retire. Like, just, know. you know how much good TV is out there? Honestly. I mean, I guess you become addicted to the attention, right? Yeah. Like, it must be that. Because, honestly, if I had endless amounts of money, I would just be hard chilling all the time. Like, yes. I mean, and but they must get in that space of like, if I can do this, I bet I can do this. And yeah. that must be intoxicating to some level. And it pulls them further away from reality. Um, to kind of dip into reality a little bit, you had mentioned this uh, earlier about the Amy Fisher, Joey Botafuco, and you're correct, is that you know, this is pre-reality shows for the most part, you know, you'd had that PBS one and a couple yeah. of things, but, um, watch the PBS one, by the way, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, an American family, right. Yeah. Is that what it's Isn't called? That fascinating? Yeah. Yes. It, it yeah. really, it really is. Um, but the thing that I, I like, yeah, we were making reality shows. We just turned these people. And like, I remember, you know, as a kid, Joey Botafuco and Amy Fisher, like that even spilled over onto like Stern show. They were like regulars oh, on yeah. like Stern show where I didn't know, you know, there was a TV movie based on this. There was there a, three. there were three yeah, there was, TV movies. Was, wasn't Drew Barrymore one yeah, of them? Drew Barrymore was in one of them. That's a great example of like, so bad. It's good. Drew Bar- I rewalked the movie in preparing for the episode and, you know, she actually brings a lot of humor to the role, which I think, you know, it could just be this like very kind of creepy, salacious movie, but she's quite sort of um, funny and charming in the film, which, you know, must also be true of Amy Fisher. Like when you watch interviews with Amy, there is something about her that's charming. So it captures something real. And, you know, 
three movies. They were all released in the same week, and they each rated really, really well for the channels. So <laughs> what it showed was it was actually one of the reasons they began to lean so much into these true crime stories. They saw how popular they were with the audiences, so they made more of these TV movies. Also, I want to be clear that when I say a TV movie, you probably think like a Lifetime movie, but they aired on ABC, NBC, and CBS. Like, they were primetime movies. Yes. I mean, really, that's we lived in a different culture. There was totally. there was only a couple places to go, and the play. I mean, TV movies. People forget about like these TV movies on ABC, CBS. They would made for NBC TV movies, yes. and people it, it doesn't exist really anymore. No, it's like with the it's gone the way of um, after school specials, which also had a very meaningful oh. role in my life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, like the 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 uh, what is it? The more you know campaign yes. on NBC, one to grow on. All of those things I romanticize so much because. It really did shape my taste and what I, you know, I grew up in Kansas. So all of that stuff was, everything was just so glamorous if it was on TV to me. Um, but Amy Fisher and Joey Badafuka, I was just thinking like, yeah, that is reality shows before reality. Like I could, you know, what they kind of turned into would have been able to be on a Real Housewives of New Jersey, would have been completely able to be. Yeah, she probably would have gotten a reality show if that happened now, right? She would have gotten one when she got out of prison. I think there actually was some attempt by the time she got out of prison for her and Joey to actually do a reality show together but it was like too weird even um, for that time. And then actually the other thing that's interesting is I think Robin and Mike Tyson fall into this category too. Like they're sort of like every move they made during their marriage, which was really, it was less than a year, was followed so intensely by the tabloids and by television networks. And so you kind of did have this like window into their relationship. And it was all being done by the people around them who were leaking competing narratives, right? He had this group of people around him who really wanted her to, um, you know, get out of the picture because she was insisting that they pay him more money, that they give him more of his own earnings. And so there were really all these background forces at play that you don't see when you're just consuming the content, right? You don't see that villainizing Robin Givens is actually has like financial motives behind it, right? All you see is you're like, oh, that poor man and that like terrible ice queen. And, you know, looking back, you really see how those stories are essentially being produced the same way reality shows are being produced. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. And even that still goes on to today. I mean, I was just thinking about that Justin Timberlake, Britney stuff that's coming yeah. out. You know, Timberlake is trying to not make a comeback, but there's the sync stuff. Who Are they going to tour together? All of this stuff. And then this book comes out and there was this uh, a couple articles over the weekend of like, Justin Timberlake is concerned for what's potentially in the Britney Spring. We started seeing these little articles pushed out. And I find that interesting about today's like pop culture is this you know, delicate balance of winning social media and winning news coverage and trying to get ahead of something. And you've got to be really savvy as a pop culture lover now, because these stories get pushed out that try to direct you in how to feel. Well, and by the way, Justin Timberlake has always been great at that. So that's kind of one of the things Justin Timberlake has done well in his career and is just now getting called out for, which is when the Janet Jackson thing happened, he made sure that the prevailing narrative was that he was innocent and she was to blame. And that very much took hold. And he's had to apologize for that since. But also when he broke up with Britney, he made that whole video, a music video, like a lookalike and essentially made like the world believe that she had cheated on him, which, you know, I don't Susie, know. I believe true. that. I, heard, I don't I, know. You know, I'm not I heard it was like, oh, cheated with the dancer guy. Like, I remembered that. Yeah. Scene. 
wow, she broke his heart. That was the narrative that I believed. So he's done a very good job over the years of like manipulating the stories that get told about the other people in these narratives with him. And I think it's probably come as a bit of a shock that he doesn't have that same control. It's getting harder to control the message in the way that it used to be because now people have a direct line. Like Britney Spears can say what she wants to herself on her own Instagram. And you know, Janet Jackson can make a film about her own experience. There just didn't used to be, as you said earlier, so many outlets. Like you could go to Barbara Walters or you could go to Oprah. Maybe there were like a couple other places you could go, but that was it. So you only got to tell your story once and you had to hope that you achieved whatever it was you were trying to achieve in telling that story. Or, I mean, remember when People Magazine covers was the end all be all, you know? Yes. And also tabloid covers had a lot more power then, you know, like when you think about what it used to mean to be on the cover of an Us Weekly, like that's really different now. And also, I think the other thing we talk a lot about is that there were these tabloid television shows that had a lot of power. Like we, I guess they still kind of exist, like Entertainment Tonight, whatever. Like but Inside Edition, all yeah. those shows in the, yeah. It's not the same. I mean, those shows, I don't know if you remember, but like hard copy, those shows really set an agenda in terms of the way a lot of celebrities were talked about. So they had a lot of power and they paid for a lot of stories. So, you know, in the Amy Fisher story, there are a lot of men come forward with stories about her that, you know, may or not be, may or may not be true, but, you know, because they're getting paid, they're willing to tell, you know. That's wild. Um, I wanted to touch on your love of reality shows. Obviously, we love reality shows here. And I, I geeked out when I saw you guys as the bartenders on Watch What Happens Live. Oh my God, yes. What was that experience like? That was amazing. It was so fun. It was exactly as fun as you think it would be to be there. Um, I had been um, as a guest in the show before. Like, I had seen a taping of the show before. So I had, like, a little bit of a sense of what it was like. But it was really fun. And it, we were on with Uba and Matt Rogers, who were both absolutely lovely. Matt Rogers nailed that Sandoval monologue at the end. Oh my God. So good. He's so good. And he actually did the nicest thing for me afterwards. My niece is a huge fan and she's living abroad and he like did this like video for her, like a personal cameo. It was so sweet. He's such a nice guy. And Uba was so sweet too. And also just absolutely stunning. I mean, you can tell she's stunning on television, but my God, in person, you're like... I just like, she's just like swoon worthy. She's so pretty and like sweet. Um, And it was just great. You know, that show is a machine. Like they know what they're doing. They've been doing it a long time. So they kind of just like get you in and out really fast. And it almost is over before you have time to promise that it's happened. You know, so it took me a couple days afterwards to feel like it was real. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe I was on this show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got to be a guest and watch what happens live a couple weeks ago of like watching it, you know, but you're yeah. right. And it, and it was during the day. It was like at like 1230 in the afternoon. It wasn't like, you know, and I will say, you know, I used to be like a Letterman guy. I watched uh, all all of these things, but I watch Watch What Happens Live every night. I, it's one of those really like fun shows for me that I get a couple laughs. I always find out a little something. It's like, I love Andy in I terms of pop show. culture. Yeah. Um, I just and just like that show is nice also because it really is a break from everything. Like when the world feels like it's exploding, you can watch, watch what happens live. And for 30 minutes, everything feels like it's okay. The, the conflicts are minor. <laughs> like, yeah. Andy's a not... solid host. Like, you know, like, I, was just like I think he's good really hands. Good. And also, I think people who go on the show are there to have a good time, right? So you sense that, you get a sense, that they're, you know, there to have fun. And so it feels more fun in general. Um, yeah, it's it was really fun. And then I guess 
Although I said that about how people seem like they're there to have fun, but did you watch the recent one with Mary Cosby and Z-Way? <laughs> so uncomfortable. Me. It was so, and by the way, I think a lot fun. I don't know. Z-Way even seemed uncomfortable. It's so crazy. Oh, and it wasn't like, you know, I thought, oh, this will be uncomfortable fun, but it was like a second, but then it was like, that was fun. And now the whole rest of the episode is really uncomfortable. Yeah, like I, the whole time I was like pumped for it. I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be great. And people online yeah. were freaking out about it. But then it started and you were like, oh no, Mary is so weird. <laughs> like just so deeply weird. Yeah, well, what did we expect? Yeah, like she's not there to kind of poke fun at the thing because she really thinks, I think she might actually think she's a god in some way. I don't know. It's very confusing. And then Z-Way, like, you know, like with the looks and stuff, like she wasn't really able to like make the inroads because I would imagine like that's a really tough job for her too to like have to try to even where do I go with Mary Cosby after I give her the fish sandwich where and that doesn't <laughs> land. Where do I go? Yeah, Mary's uh, like, no, thank you. I don't want that garbage. You're like, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's like, does it? It's like, it was interesting because Z-Way usually gets to be the weird one. So she was ha- really struggling with being the like straight person in that. Like, yes. Picture. Yes. And she's like, I don't know how to play this great man. I'm supposed to be the wild one here. <laughs> and I think even Andy was like, I don't know what to do with this. My favorite was when he was like, why did you come back on the show? And she was like, to do you guys a favor. Yeah, you guys needed me. And I was like, it was... It, trying to be sure she just genuinely believes that she's like a gift she's giving them. I say this to the audience is that sometimes Bravo works best when it does feel like a fever dream. Like like Salt Lake City this season to me feels like a fever dream where I think it's so, so good. But like you try to even court chart some kind of course of like character development and motivation. And every time you just I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if Meredith's spreading these rumors. I don't don't even they're going snowshoeing. I agree with you. It's so interesting. Like it's compelling, but it is also so weird. Every episode, something happens where you're like, what, what, what? Like there's like the Mary going to get the fish fillet, which you're like, how is she just like allowed? Like why are producers making her do anything? No, it seems like they let her do. It seems like they're under marching orders to not question Mary at all. Whatever she wants, just do even the characters, like the other characters are like, that's just Mary. And then Meredith, Meredith is the only one that seems like, like, Oh, Mary, it's so true what you said. Like, she acts like she's at, like, that Mary's like, oh, it's so great to have you. You, you make so much sense. Like, I don't, I'm like, what, Meredith, what? Very confusing. But also, Meredith is having a great season in a really weird way. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. love that she's, like, leaning into this kind of, like, I don't, what is the persona she's taken on? It's like, you're, you're, like, <laughs> slightly pill-popping auntie. Like, she's like... Uh, yeah, Charity, come to your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't actually think she's. It's like there's this slurring, and the, I like love this version of Meredith. I find it really amusing. And then Heather, I think you know she was such a fan favorite, and then got such like a you know like a pushback on that. Right? She really didn't have a great season, so I think she's also kind of come unhinged. So it does feel like a fever dream. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, and by the way, it's the only franchise to me that feels that way, and I like it. I like the different franchises make me feel. Like, New York is, like, really kind of, not subtle, but it's slower. The pacing's different. We're getting to know these women. But Salt Lake is, like, just a weird another level. And then this next month, we got Beverly Hills, Potomac, Miami, and Mary DeMedicine coming. Where do your tastes lie in your Bravo reality shows? 
Do you watch all of them? I don't watch all of them. I'm really like a Real Housewives Vanderpump Rules girl. So I really watch all the Real Housewives. I've watched most of them from the beginning. Potomac, I came a little late to. And I haven't watched the new Miami, although everyone tells me it's amazing. I watched it like a million years ago and then was like, I don't know how many new shows I can take on. But I've never really branched out into the married um, to medicine or or like the summer house. I don't really do any of those. And also I don't do any of the like boat ones, which I've heard are amazing. I mean, I believe that all of these are great, but I also just like (laughs) time to do my job. Yeah. consumes as much no. people consume. Oh. And so- Susie, I don't I, I don't I don't have a lot like I, I just I don't have a life anymore. Like there's too many shows. There and I wish at least like we would like like teachers, they would give us the summers off. Like just <laughs> no Bravo on the summers and like go in go introduce yourself to your family again, you know? Yeah, it's true. Although I am kind of what I love about Bravo is there's always something. Like when everything else there's like nothing on TV, you know there's gonna be some Bravo show that season. Um, how are you feeling about the new New York? I'm so curious how people feel about it. Because I feel like it was very popular in the beginning and now it's getting a bit more of like a mixed reaction. So I'm middle of the road. Like, so I'm always, I'm a big, fi- like a big believer in we need new women's stories. Like, yeah. I feel like you, you've you got to, you know, I love staying with certain ladies and, and you know, getting those storylines out. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't think there are tons of women out there right now that are actual friends with each other that we want to hear their stories. And you have to invest in that. It can't be like one season, it didn't work, cancel it. You got to stay with them. You got to be able to set a foundation. So for me, the New York was a really breath of fresh air. I was kind of enjoying getting to know these ladies. I think it got a little long in the tooth towards the end. I would have probably made like a 10 episode season and not a 13 to 14. But I got to say, like, I thought some elements were being set up that I would be interested to see how they pay off. Um, I, I, I just love seeing new things. I love Bravo. It's like, it's like that old, you know, your hometown team where I'm like, yeah, man, let's do Bravo con. Let's do like, I get proud. I'm like, yeah, do winter, summer, Southern charm house. Let's do it. You know? I mean, I really like it. I have to say, cause it feels as a New Yorker, more like real New York. Like I just couldn't relate to Ramona. The Upper East Side? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, it's not even the Upper East Side of it. It'd be fine to have like a woman from the Upper East Side. It's just that it made it seem like the Upper East Side was New York, you know? So that, that never like felt very relatable to me. But also I think it's just like kind of interesting to have a different energy. It feels very different from the other shows in a lot of ways because it, it, just feels more modern, right? They're like actually influencers in some cases. Like they have the kind of jobs you know these women have on the other shows, but they kind of pretend not to have. Also, I think the thing that I love about this kind of era of Bravo is there's a lot more breaking of the fourth wall, which I'm really yeah. Like, I feel like that was amazing on OC this year, right? Like seeing Shannon try and control the narrative. Yeah. And then I have know. fights that yeah, I have fights that emotionally terrorize me. Get this mic off my body. Yeah, like I love that we got to see that, and then we don't, got to see that to some degree in New York. And I think we're getting it a little bit with Mary even in Salt Lake. And I think what's so interesting is they're all being a lot more public about how there are things they tell each other off camera and things they tell each other on camera. And it's a betrayal when you do when you sort of cross that line. Because we've always known that as viewers, like we're not dumb. But now they're being much more explicit about it, right? Like Shannon's like, this is the vault, you're not allowed to talk about X. And then like, Sai is mad. And you know, it's interesting, because in that last episode, Uba is not mad. I didn't say it on camera. I didn't say it on camera. Yeah. So it's like interesting, because it's now becoming more explicit that we are like, there's strategy in these shows. Because you know, my thing about Real Housewives is is I think it's a woman's workplace drama. <laughs> I think it is. 
But wait, but it is. I mean, in a sense. And and what I love about what you just said is that not even really the jobs that they actually have in life, but they consider like showing up to film a work. That's this is my workplace in front of the camera. So I. I totally say this on the show all the time that it's turned into Survivor Housewives. The element of gameplay now, it's gameplay. Even on Salt Lake, you're like, is Meredith saying these rumors behind everybody's back to try to get a leg up? Or is Whitney coming in here and trying to like, I didn't say that rumor. I didn't say that. Do you not feel like Whitney is definitely like got her hands on the pulse in the background? She feels like she's pulling a lot of strings in the background. Because if you study Housewives, Whitney and Heather were fan, deep fans of all of these shows before they got on these shows, so they know how they work. But I think it's interesting from where uh, Housewives started, where it would almost be like a documentary, to where it is now, where it's like all gameplay. People like Shannon and I love, I love those fights. It's so silly to me of like what they say off camera, what they say on camera. How would you ever trust Tamara with any personal information? Is the fact that they even ever like, and she must be so good at it that they just spill all the time and she just collects information. Um, It's fascinating to me. And that's what I love. And you're right about the Bravo, Bravo, effing Bravo moments. I think we're as an audience, we are savvier than we've ever been. We're adult enough to realize this is being filmed. Like, let us know, let us in on this. We're, we can handle it. Like, I don't, it doesn't upset me that this is a TV show. Like, I love that it's being filmed. I love it, right? Because it feels like you're being given access to something that was being kept from you. It's like a little behind the scenes, like you're getting this like inside track. Because, you know, we all speculate about this stuff, but now at least we're getting to actually see it play out between them. And it makes sense because it's a lot of the drama between them is about the show. So if they don't acknowledge it, then there's like, we don't understand why everyone's so mad at each other. Okay, but I have one other thing I want to say about this, which is I feel like, do you feel like it's wild on Salt Lake how everyone acts like Lisa didn't just like call Meredith the whore on camera? (laughs) Like, I feel like it's the crazy. <laughs> Am I the only one who cannot get past this? If someone said the things about me that Lisa Barlow said about Meredith, I would be. She thought half of New York City. I can't believe it. She, her, and her fake kids and fake lifestyle. I mean, really, and it's that thing. That's another bizarre fever dream part of this. That is something you don't come back from. And then all of a sudden this season, they're buddy-buddy again. And we don't even – we we mention it lightly, but that's it. Like I don't know how these women sometimes get from point A to point B because I'm like, wait a sec. You swore last season that it would never be the same because of that. And they kept showing those words. And each time I'd be like, ooh, that still hurts. Ow. How did Meredith lose that? Like I feel like she lost the narrative on that completely. She came back and last season they were all like, Meredith, just get over it. Like, okay, Lisa said you're a complete whore. Like move on. They, the they eternal sunshiner. They they erase those memories from Meredith's head. I know. And then this season, in the last episode, Lisa was like, "I know how you know Angie is feeling because I also <laughs> had my reputation be smart." I'm like, yeah. "Reputation, like what?" <laughs> but also. That's the other, like, whatever happened to that? What, whatever happened to the jazz tickets? Did we ever get any kind of closure on, like, like those things just got dropped? And I'm like, well, those are big things. And, like, well, you're now I, bringing it up. That was just such a, I mean, honestly, that was, like, one of my favorite Housewives rumors ever because it was so out there. Like, it was so insane. Like, I was like, I mean, come on. Like, if she's doing sexual favors, don't we think she's getting more than jazz tickets? Like, that feels like a very <laughs> And Whitney was like, 
Meredith definitely told me you did. You told me, Heather. You told me that you did. It was so. That's what Salt Lake is the most bizarre, most watchable this season show, um, and it really excites me. I mean, I think tonight we get a new episode, which is so exciting. Um, any, uh, what else are you watching in terms of even reality? Like, what do you, what do you unwind with? What do you like in terms of pop culture? Like, are you any like streaming uh, scripted shows? Yeah, I am. I do. We just actually watched Severance, my boyfriend and I, which we hadn't watched when everyone. Oh, and we absolutely love. So good. Like, I can't wait for that to come back. Um, I'm watching. This is not um, fiction, but I just am in the middle of watching Beckham, which I think. Have you watched that yet? (laughs) So interesting, right? Like, I yeah, Susie. I don't even like sports, and I got super into it. Same. Like, I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was a huge star, but I don't think I realized just like how big a star he was. Yeah. And so that's been really interesting. And I think seeing. Oh, wait, and Susie, and to your point, to your point about what you were talking about earlier, Victoria Beckham, how they really like they stated her. It, they blamed her. Always the woman's fault. Always. It's like, yes, I thought that was really fascinating. That was actually the point of the documentary I was in last night where she's like getting blamed for his Madrid performance. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that he can handle himself on a soccer field without her being blamed for the results. But yeah, I think that's been really interesting. Um, I My niece convinced me a few seasons ago to start watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette universe again. So I've been doing a little bit of that. Like, Wait, are you doing gold? Are you doing Golden Bachelor? I haven't been able to get into Golden Bachelor. It's like, is it good? I don't know. It feels too depressing. Susie, <laughs> like, it is hor- Susie is horribly depressing. I cry at least once an episode, but it's only an hour and not two hours. And I will say, si- this I is what I love. To watch The Bachelor. I'm like, why am I still watching? It's been four hours. <laughs> yeah. I've not enjoyed an hour and 30 minutes of this. Why am I doing this? But Golden Bachelor is great because I almost... Like I trust these people, people that have loved and then lost. I'm more willing to like see to me that's like the hook that it's fascinating. And this guy, Gary, seems like just a genuinely good guy with like a meek voice and he seems so nice. Yeah. Yeah, like he like you have to like have people that you still believe in. I will give it another chance. Um, I had to watch the first episode, but I was just like, I don't want to see these like grown women bicker. Like I just couldn't figure out how where it was gonna go. Cause like I, I don't it's also it's already like awkward enough when the bachelorettes are already each other's throats. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I don't really want to see, like, grandmother. (laughs) Not sure about that. But I have been watching Bachelor in Paradise. And I have to say, it is delivering as it always does. Do you watch the Paradise? Okay, no, I have it on my DVR, but I went Golden Bachelor instead. And then once I did Golden Bachelor, I was like, I can't do three hours of Bachelor when there are other things on. Great. <laughs> like a version online that's just the important parts because I cannot watch so much Bachelor. Yeah, it's too much Bachelor. And I, 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 I come then I was like, is this ageism that they let this Bachelor in Paradise be two hours and Golden's like only one? Like that's ageism. Like give them two hours. Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of ageism on The Bachelor in general. Don't you, like, notice how whenever there's, like, a 30-year-old in the group, they're like, can you believe this old lady is here trying to win this Bachelor's heart? Like, they treat the 30-year-olds like they're literally 85. (laughs) There's some ageism in that universe. But yeah, I love aging out. Aging out of the Bachelor universe is a sad moment. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about the other day is, aren't you surprised there's never been a Bachelor con? Like... It feels like it's so obvious as a next step. Like, in a lot of ways, I feel like The Bachelor, like, you know, what what is it? Like, The Bachelor universe developed... Bachelor Nation. Bachelor Nation. Nation. Yeah. Developed this idea of turning them all into ongoing characters and then giving people access to them, even before Bravo really embraced that. And now, 
Bravo has far exceeded that by like with BravoCon and all these things it's doing. But Bachelor Nation needs a Bachelor Con. Like people would show up. I mean, Bachelor Nation will one day be a sovereign nation. They will split off from the union. And because also, and I think it's about like 90 Day Fiance was one of the first kind of like big, uh, like 90 Day Fiance started doing these shared universe shows where it was like putting all of these different iterations. And Bravo, because Andy thought it was like day class A, they didn't do those shared universe shows like Ultimate Girls Trip yet. And then 90 Day Fiance approved that it could work. And then people like The Bachelor and Bravo finally copped on board. But I think you're right. That's destined for a convention or a bachelor cruise like a celebrity bachelor cruise oh 100 percent, right i feel like you and i should right now pitch ourselves to do a panel for a bachelor cruise. <laughs> could you oh my god please are you gonna I'm, um we will make that an amazing day <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're listening abc um wait do you have a couple more minutes i just want to bring up vanderpump real quick sure yeah Okay, Vanderpump Rules, really quick. Where do you stand now that we are months and months out of Scandaval, even though Tom Scandaval now is on uh, Special Forces on Fox, getting beat up every yeah. week and trying to win win us back, even though he's trying to say he's bringing you know, grace to his name again. Where are you now months after, months and months after Scandaval broke? Uh, have you changed your opinion at all? I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, I think Scandaval is a villain. Like, I think he's like a narcissist and maybe slightly unhinged, right? And I'm, I'm staying with that theory about him. I mean, sure, I feel a little bad for him that it went so crazy. But on the other hand, he knew what he was doing. Like, I feel like this whole pretense that he's like, you know, trying to pretend like it just happened. Like he was clearly kind of trying to engineer a storyline. If anyone engineered that storyline, it was Tom Sandoval. It just spun wildly out of his control you know yeah I mean? he yeah i think he didn't he he expected to speak it's just he didn't expect her to find out when she did like he expected him to get through the reunion i bet break up over the season and then next season be able to like come off as a hero in a sense and i just think it got all kind of completely messed up because tom's a, a goof well, and also I think he had he has said since that he was planning on going to Winterhouse. So he clearly was planning on breaking up with her anyway, right? I think what he didn't expect also was that the fans would be so in her favor because he was trying to paint her as this like shrew nag, like uh, who never replaces the batteries. I mean, it was also just pins and batteries. You need to have if you're a woman, pins and batteries. Yeah, I was very confused by that. Um, I guess my opinion of Rachel has changed a little bit. Not to say that I like her more because I do think she's like sort of weirdly vacant. And I don't think the interview with Bethany really changed my opinion on that. Like she didn't come off as super smart. It's a terrible thing to say. And by the way, and also I blame that ha- partly on Bethany as well. Yeah, I felt like that was really a lot more about Bethany than it was about Rachel. But I also just think, you know, Rachel isn't great at communicating. She's not particularly articulate when she's trying to express herself. And, you know, what happens as a result is I think she gets these sort of like canned lines from people and then she sort of stumbles when she's repeating them. So you never really can figure out what she's feeling. I think I kind of was hoping she'd come back this season because I am just like curious what Rachel is actually thinking. I feel like we never actually know anything about what's going on in Rachel's head. It just feels like, like, all I can picture up there is just, like, balloons, you know? Like, I don't understand why we're not... Here. No, I, I, I... 
I totally understand that. But at the same time, I respect that she didn't come back. And I think it would have been a disappointment just like her at the reunion because – and this is not a sin. She's not an effective communicator and it's not like she would have changed. She doesn't know like really talking heads. She doesn't know how to get, in a, to get into it effectively. She's not like a Lala and that's great. Nobody – everybody doesn't have to be that way. But we would have been disappointed because she would have never been able to I think truly effectively communicate. We saw it on the Bethany Frankel podcast. We saw all of that. So I think the correct decision for her and her mental health is that. But what's funnier for me, if we do the Bravo, Bravo, effing Bravo, is to see all these Vanderpumpers try to get like the brand deals and like all of a sudden this sudden fame again. It's got to be insane. You know, they were like on the brink of irrelevance and good for them that they've like been able to embrace this moment. And I am actually really curious to see how this new season is going to go because, you know, it's hard to imagine what could possibly live up to what we've been through together. You know, like I feel like nothing will ever I say it's like Haley's comet. Haley's comet. You're you're not gonna see this kind of thing. It's like a, a comet that you only see every 75 years. We'll never see this again, but like wow, we got to have this cultural moment together. And that's exciting. Um what's also exciting is in retrospect, the new podcast. And what do we do for new podcasts that we love? We immediately go subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and then without even thinking, just based on my word, you rate that five stars. You rate that five stars. She spent an hour with us today, a very busy person, um, a very important busy person, spent an hour with us today talking about the stuff we love. But this podcast with her and Jessica Bennett, I think, is going to be something that you insanely love. I cannot wait for the new episodes. Uh, One a week, right, Susie? Yes, every Friday. Okay. Well, go support this. I'm going to be supporting this, and I hope you will, too. Susie, I hope you come back sometime. Uh, This was just fabulous. Time. Thank you so much for having me. So Bad It's Good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey at gmail.com and follow the show at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to Patreon.com forward slash SoBadIt'sGood. Stay bad, baddies. Batches.